0: Have you ever been stopped by a police officer? (laughs) There's a way to start a sermon, right? You know, the blue lights flashed and before long you're holding a little piece of paper that, you know, has a warning or a fine or or maybe a court date. Imagine that you're pulled over by a police officer and instead of giving you a piece of paper that's got a, a warning or a fine or a court date, He gives you a piece of paper that's a coupon for free ice cream. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, if you just happen to be riding through Concord, Massachusetts anytime soon, that might actually happen to you. The Concord Police Department is giving out citations for good behavior. They're giving out citations for free ice cream for good behavior. Things like wearing your helmet if you're riding a bicycle. Things like wearing your seatbelt in the car. Things like using the crosswalk when you're walking across and using the light at the crosswalk. They're giving out citations for good behavior. As the story goes, basically the police department teamed up with a local restaurant, and the name of the restaurant is called Reasons to be Cheerful Cafe. That sounds like a place to eat, right? So they've been teaming up with Reasons to be Cheerful Cafe to give out 200 citations for law-abiding citizens doing good things. And what that little citation entitles them to is two free scoops of ice cream over at Reasons to be Cheerful Cafe. It's kind of a fun thing. Chief Joseph O'Connor said this about the restaurant and the owner. Reasons to be Cheerful and Wade Rubenstein are committed to making a positive difference in our community and we are appreciative that they have partnered with us. A positive difference in the community. That's something we like, right? I mean, we, we live in a world where there's lots of negative news. We live in a world where there's lots of sin and there's lots of evil, there's lots of disaster and tragedy, there's terrible things happening, so someone making a positive difference in the community sounds like a really, really good thing, something that we can get behind. What if I were to tell you that making a positive difference in the community, making sure that you do something positive around where you are might actually involve you rejecting someone. Might actually involve you ignoring someone or pushing them away or or having nothing to do with them. Not going out for ice cream with them after church. That sounds a little strange, right? That would be the positive thing to do? I mean, that that doesn't sound very Christian, right? That didn't sound like the Christian thing to do. Interestingly, it might be the most Christian thing to do. So what are we talking about? Well, let's find out. Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. Paul writes, Reject a factious man. What kind of person is a factious person? Well, this word here could be translated as divisive person or even heretic. And we kind of know the idea of heretic, right? We, we usually associate with somebody who's just way off the reservation. I mean, they're just way out there. They're, they're almost totally denying almost every aspect of what the Bible says and what God says. But during the time of Paul and Titus, this word here, factious or divisive, it meant something different. It meant self-chosen. It meant to prefer, to to take something for yourself. And so a factious person, a divisive person, they would take some platform for themselves. They would would choose some agenda for themselves, and then they would try to win people to their side, whatever their agenda or their platform might be. We see a little bit of this picture in the Old Testament with Moses. In number 16, there was a, a guy named Korah. And Korah didn't really like how Moses was doing things and Sikorah got a team of a couple of hundred guys together and, and they were gonna challenge Moses. Well, not only did their team not win the challenge, the Bible says that the ground underneath them opened up and they actually lost their lives as the result of this challenge. Now, let me say this, Moses was not perfect. <laughs> Moses didn't get everything right. But for the most part, Moses was trying to honor God. This may as a shock to all of you but there is no perfect pastor in the universe. There are no perfect church leaders in the universe. The reality is there are times where a pastor or church leader may need to be confronted over some certain thing, and we're going to talk in just a moment about exactly how to do that. But generally speaking, if the pastor or the church leader is not boldly dishonoring God and not boldly dishonoring the gospel and not acting in the opposite ways according to biblical principles, Avoid building teams against church leaders. It's just a a good and wise thing, not just for your heart, but for the heart of the whole church. Ron Daniel writes this. The divisive person always focuses on the leader's imperfection. The divisive person spreads his disease and makes people pick sides. The divisive person takes a stand in the church saying, it's him or me, them or us, my opinion or theirs. The divisive person tries to build their team against Moses or Pastor Titus or whoever the Lord has called to lead. Sometimes church members act like that. Sometimes elders act like that. Sometimes deacons act like that. Sometimes church staff acts like that. Sometimes pastors act like that. In other words, it's, it's not just an attack necessarily or a challenge toward leaders. It's people that could be challenging a number of different things. They might be challenging the leaders, or they might be challenging the, a traditional way of doing things in the church, or they might be challenging a contemporary way of doing things in the church. They might be challenging the, the color of the tablecloths in the fellowship hall. They might be challenging the brand of chocolate that's in the children's minister's file drawer in her office. Which I wouldn't know anything about because I never go in the children's minister's office looking for chocolate in her drawer. That never happens. The picture here is that you could be challenging just about anything. You you could be creating problems about just about anything. So how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference in whether somebody is being divisive or if they're just an old grump pot? You know? How can you tell the difference if someone's being divisive or if they're just a young, know-it-all whippersnapper? Or how can you tell the difference if maybe they're somewhere in between? Well, one of the ways you can tell the difference is because a factious, divisive person is disconnected from God's truth. They're they're really disconnected from the whole of what the Bible is teaching. They're kind of in their own world. They're doing their own thing, and they're completely separated from what they're doing. They might even say, hey, God is telling me to do this thing. They might even say, well, the Spirit's leading me to do this thing. But here's the thing about the Spirit. The whole purpose of the Spirit is to bring attention to Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit doesn't lead us to do things that are about a personal agenda or even a spiritual idea that doesn't direct people and lead people back to seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. See, the whole picture of the gospel is that the gospel is what's most important. That Jesus is what's most important. That everything else, as we sang, is sinking sand. So one way we can spot a divisive person is looking at whether or not their primary goal is the glory of God in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Another way we can spot a divisive person is by how they operate. Absalom was the son of King David. And one day Absalom went to hang out outside of his dad's office. And he was chatting up all the people who were coming in to go see his dad. Finding out, hey, what you guys here for? What, what are you going to see the king for? And as he chatted them up, as he talked to them, he found out about their ideas. He started saying some things to them like this. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. And then verse 4. Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. Then every man who has any suit or cause could come to me and I would give him justice. Did you catch that? Absalom says, So what you here for today? Oh, man, that's a great idea. You know, my dad, he kind of has a different way of doing things, and 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 your idea is really good, but you know it's not gonna fit in his way of doing things. But man, I tell you, you know what? God, it'd be great. You know, I mean, I mean if I were king. I mean, you know, if there's a way that somebody could, could help me become king, boy, I would take ideas like that. I mean, I think we should do all kinds of things in the kingdom. I, I would be a completely different kind of leader. You see, a, a divisive person is always undermining everyone else but themselves. They're always undermining every kind of leader and every kind of church and and every other ministry idea and every other missions project and anything else as long as it's disconnected from what they think should be going on. Ron Daniel again says this. Here's a guy you know from church. He wouldn't deceive you, right? He wouldn't lie to you, would he? He's charismatic and likable, seems stable and knowledgeable. He'd never steer me wrong. And then he says this. You didn't know it was coming, And now you've been drafted onto his team before you even knew there were teams. See, that's that's the divisive nature of it. See, a divisive person is always trying to draw attention away from Jesus, trying to draw attention away from the glory of God. And that's very, very important to remember. You can't just reject people because you don't like them. That's not what Paul's saying. You can't just reject somebody because they disagree with you or are having a different opinion from you. That's, that's not the kind of rejection that we're talking about here. You can't reject somebody because they don't like your kind of church music or, or they not uh, like your church holiday like everybody else does. You, you can't reject somebody because they wear tacky dresses. You can't re- reject somebody because they have a really bad toupee. All right, maybe you can reject about the bad toupee. I don't know. That's, that's a possibility. But the picture here is that a divisive person is always trying to move people away from the glory of God and is putting way too much attention on whatever their personal agenda may be or whatever their, even their, their nice spiritual idea may be. The attention is drawn away from God. So let me ask this question. I asked it last week. Does that mean all division in the church is wrong? No, it doesn't. Again, bring on... Adrian Rogers and his wise words that he once said, It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. You see, if the pastors or the church leaders or even the church members begin to put a personal agenda or a spiritual idea or even the church itself in front of the gospel, something needs to be said. But when does something need to be said? Well, a few thoughts here. The time that something needs to be said does not need to be in the middle of the sermon. (laughs) The time to say something, not to stand up in the middle of the sermon and start shouting whatever it is that you you think needs to be changed. The time is not also all over social media. (laughs) That's not the time and the place to, to say what needs to be said. And it's not out in the parking lot after church with a crowd of people either. That's that's not the place where something needs to be said. And at least not first, and maybe not ever, is it to come up even in church conference or in a church business meeting. So if those things are kind of the wrong ways, what's what's the right way? When is the time that something needs to be said? Look what Paul says next in verse 10. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. Let me be clear about this. Our purpose in life is not to reject people. (laughs) That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Our purpose in life is, is not to push people away. Even with divisive people, the purpose is not rejection. The goal is not rejection. The goal is relationship. This is a person that is on their own. They're out in their own world. They are away from God's world, and we don't want them to be there. We want them to be in God's world. We want them to be in a loving relationship with God and His truth. We want them to be in a a loving relationship with God and His church. So how do we get them there? How do we get them in the relationship where they need to be? Well, we do it by warning them. The word warning here means to admonish, to encourage, to reprove, but to do all those things with truth. So it's kind of like saying stop, but then explaining why you're saying stop. It's not just yelling stop at somebody. It's saying, well, here's why I'm saying stop. Think of it this way. When my kids were little and they were toddlers, if I saw them walking over to the stovetop and one of the burners was on, and I saw them reaching up with their hands to touch that burner, I would not say stop. There's an internal coil underneath there, and it's connected to electricity. Electricity's flowing to that internal coil, and, and, it's, and it's that orange-reddish you know, glow because of that heat that's coming in there. And, and if you put your hand on top, it's going to expose your hand to that heat, and, and you're going to have some measure of tissue damage. That's not what you say to a toddler, right? <laughs> you say, stop, it's going to burn you. And then you jump over there and try to pull them out of the way. But my kids aren't toddlers anymore, so I'm probably not going to say, stop, it's going to burn you now. I might talk to them about Proverbs 4 and, and the heart, that, that everything that happens in our life is defined by the heart. That your thoughts and, and your attitudes, your desires, what you say, what you do, how you act, all of that comes through the heart. And so if you're off track, it's because your heart is off track. It's not because your spouse is terrible or it's not because your kids are terrible. It's not because your parents are terrible or your boss is terrible or anybody else in the world is terrible. It doesn't mean that their sin doesn't impact us and affect us, but our actions and our words, our thoughts, our desires are a reflection of us, not them. And so Proverbs talks about the wisdom of always guarding your heart, always looking out after your heart. And so if you're knowingly and openly engaged in sin, then you're knowingly and openly engaged in steering your heart away from truth. See, that's a different kind of stop. So there's times that our explanations of why we say stop will sound a little different. But we still are saying stop, but we're saying stop with God's truth. In other words, and parents and grandparents, you you know this, the word no is not mean, (laughs) The word stop is not mean. Sometimes stop and no are some of the most loving things that we can possibly say to people. And a warning is not always mean. A warning can be one of the most loving expressions, one of the most deep, deep loving expressions that we could ever give to someone. So how many times should we warn somebody? Well, Paul says at least two. And really what he says here lines up pretty good with what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And then Jesus says this in verse 16. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. And then he says this next in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So let's break down the system and kind of give this picture. This is the system that Jesus commands, and then it's the system that Paul affirms. And just to be clear, this is not a system just for the church. When I say this is an evangelistic sermon, this is part of it right here. The system we're about to play out here is how your marriage is supposed to work. It's how your relationship with your kids is supposed to work. It's really how things are supposed to work at your job. Or we'll say this, it's the best way for things to work at your job. It's the best way for things to work at school. It's the best way for things to work in government. It's the best way for things to work with friends or even complete strangers. This is not just interesting information. This is how life works, and it is God's best for all of our relationships. And so what does this system start with? Well, it starts with this. Unter Augen. I have no idea if I just said that right, but I know at least two of y'all can tell me after. I should have asked you before. Yeah, I just threw some German on you. Unter Augen. I came across that in my reading this week, and I love it. It's a phrase that means under four eyes. That means two people. <laughs> that means you go to the person who's actually involved. That's, that's the picture that Jesus is going to play out for us here. You don't go to 18 people first and tell them everything that happened, and then you say, well, just pray for me as I try to get the Spirit to lead me to go fix this problem. No, you've already not fixed the problem. You've already done the opposite of what the Spirit would tell you to do because the Spirit would tell you, hey, pay attention to what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? Hey, go to the person involved, and if they respond well, guess what? Everybody wins. That's a pretty good system, right? But if we choose to first go create a little team, then you know what we do? We end up messing up what was already messy. We, we, we ignore Jesus, we dishonor Jesus, and we can completely go our own way. We completely miss the whole picture. So Unto Ver Augen is great, because what it does is this. It, it gets the two people that are involved, and that's the quickest way to a win-win. Four eyes i's, is the quickest way to a win-win. Now, can you always go directly to the person? Most of the time, yes, even if you have to do it by phone. But I will say this. There are times that you need to be wise, and maybe you can't go to the person just one-on-one. Like, for instance, if if the issue is between a a man and a woman who are not married, then you might want to be wise about what that situation will look like. And you might want to be wise about, you know, going to a divisive person who has a real anger issue and carries a machete. You know, you you might just want to think through that, you know, before you try to, you know, go have a one-on-one conversation with them. So, so there needs to be some wisdom. But for the most part, unto vir is good. We, we should pursue this whole mindset that comes directly from the mouth of Jesus. Try to handle things with the person. And you know what? That is always comfortable and easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's rarely comfortable and easy. But it is the path that Jesus gives us for the quickest win-win, for the quickest way to solve the problem. Keep it between two people unless it is forced beyond. And so what happens when it gets forced beyond? Well, when it gets forced beyond, you're in a completely different scenario, and Jesus describes it this way. Take somebody with you, or maybe take somebody else with you. You One or two witnesses, what they're able to do is they're able to come in, and they're able to see and pay attention to you trying to help this person see truth. Or, you know what also they'll see? They'll see whether or not you're being a jerk. You see, just because somebody's being a divisive person doesn't give us a license to be a jerk or a drama queen, you know, about whatever it is that's going on. There's a picture here that the witnesses actually are helping everybody that's involved. They're, they're a part of what's going on. They're a part of helping people think straight. Now, again, I would say this. Be wise, you know. Uh, you want to you wanna find a good witness. You don't want to find the guy to take to talk with the divisive person who was the guy who last year got in a machete fight with the divisive person over the color of the tablecloths in the fellowship hall, all right? You want want to think through, you know, who's going in these meetings. But the picture, again, is that you would look for someone who's godly, someone who's prayerful, someone who knows how to to sit and listen. Because sometimes this is a sit and listen thing. The witnesses don't always talk. Sometimes they may. But again, this this is not a gang up. Jesus is not saying, hey, go gang up on people. This is a love-motivated, grace-saturated rescue mission. Someone's in their own world, away from God's world, and we want to help them come back and find the mercy of God to enjoy what it means to be in fellowship with the church and with other believers. But if the first warning is not listened to, if the second warning is not listened to, then Jesus says there's kind of an extension of the second warning, you might call it a third warning, and that is that you, you have to take it in front of the whole church. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, what it means is that somehow, because the person is not listening in any way, shape, or form. And hey, let me just go ahead and say this. I would say a good portion of the time, rarely do any of us listen to the first warning. <laughs> you know, I, we just really don't like people bringing stuff to us, you know. I mean, none of us like that. So, so the first warning, you know, it's, it's hit or miss. You know, you never know. But the reality is this process is, again, set up to draw people back into a loving relationship, not just with each other, but a loving relationship with God. And so this, this third part is a little different. It doesn't mean that you go out on the, the sign and say, you know, Dow Welsh is a heretic and he carries a machete. You know, we, we don't go put the information out on the sign out on the highway. But what we do is we, we find a way to go beyond the two witnesses it may be that you you open it up to a, a group of elders or a group of deacons or the church staff or or you know some other kind of group and and there are times even that it might come before the whole church in a church conference but but even then it's it's very wise i'll just say briefly, and I've shared this with y'all before on Wednesday nights, I know of one church that had a a very rebellious spouse that was very openly engaged in adultery, and they were trying to work with the spouse, and they would never repent, never turn from their rebellion, and it was creating a great deal of controversy, and after about 13, 14, 15 months, finally, in this one once-a-year business meeting that this church has, it was kind of shared, hey, we've asked this person to, to stay away. And so, again, this, this picture is not us, you know, coming in on Sunday morning with boxing gloves going, all right, who can we beat up and reject today? That's not what we're talking about. We're really talking about this picture of, of being a divisive person, this picture of why this is laid out like this by Jesus. Now, let me also say this. That's kind of why church membership matters, too, I mean, you may come up to me today and say, well, I know this guy, and I met him at, you know, Bojangles on the other side of town, and boy, you wouldn't believe what he was doing. He says he goes over there every morning. So I can't go over to that Bojangles on the other side of town and say, hey, buddy, I heard you did something unchristian. I want you to know I'm warning you right now, and if you don't stop, you won't be able to go out with ice cream with your people at your church, okay? That's not how this works. We We go to those that we're already in community with, or or at the very least, people who are directly connected to our church. This isn't us going out on witch hunts. This is about us looking at how the gospel is being, for lack of a better word, covered over sometimes in the life of the church because of division, because of distraction. How long does this stuff last? There's no time frame. If someone's just really wildly rebellious and causing major problems, this process could go quicker. But generally speaking, it probably is a long process. You know, we also call this sometimes church discipline. And, and that could be a really, really long time. It could be something that that doesn't last just a couple of days. It could last, again, like I said, maybe 15, 16 months, maybe longer. And it may never come before the church. And here's the deal, we don't want it to. We want everything to be organ. That's that's what we want. We we want as many problems as possible in our marriages and with our kids and with our families and our friends and our neighborhoods, in the community, in the church. We want to find a way to solve these things one-on-one as much as possible. And you know why? Because guess who gets a whole lot of attention when it happens like that? Jesus. Jesus gets a whole lot of attention when we're learning how to handle these things with just a few people instead of it being this huge, gigantic public drama. And let me just say that in 43 years of life, I've never lived in a community where there weren't churches with huge, gigantic, unnecessary, non-gospel-oriented public drama. We don't want to be that church. We want to be the church that's making as much of Jesus as we possibly can at every point that we possibly can. And praise God that he is blessing us in that way so much right now. Man, my mind's shot, too. I hope, I, hope, I, hope, uh, I, hope, I hope I'm not overloading you here. But let me just say this. Sometimes you still have to reject. Sometimes it gets outside of the two or three people. But notice Paul says reject, and Jesus says kind of reject. They don't say, go burn the guy's house. All right, he doesn't say that. It doesn't say go get some spray paint and and spray paint a a huge H on the hood of their car for heretic. You know, don't do that. It doesn't say blast them all over social media. It doesn't say that. But it does say that we need to warn them. And we need to warn them a second time. And then if they don't listen, then we might need to reject them. Why? Well, a couple of quick reasons, and here's one. One, we need to feel shame for our sin. We live in a world where we, we have public officials and private people in our family that radically sin and never experience the shame of sin. See, if God's word is being dishonored, we should not honor it. There, there should be a sense of, of shame connected to it. But the second reason is that if a person is unrepentant, if they're going to fight behind the scenes and, and really not listen to some, some godly counsel to the point that it really becomes public drama, here's what happens. They will get more fiery and they will get more deceptive and it will be easier for them to draw people to their side. And so what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying is you know, just stay out of the path of someone who is unrepentant and arrogant and always driven by their personal agendas because they might just find a way To rope you in as well. And we don't want to be that way. And let me just give you one more thought, and some of you have experienced this in your lifetime. If you are an arrogant, unrepentant person who refuses to step away and listen to God's truth, or if you're a super sweet, godly person who really is struggling with doctrinal issues at a church, then let me just say this do all you can to handle it with just a few people, and then just slip out quietly. If you can't get it solved behind the scenes with the people that are involved and you realize it's, it's really escalating, then, then don't, don't start a coup. Don't, don't deceptively and purposely try to get a bunch of people on your team and try to get them to leave. We, we see it a lot, but just do everything you can to, to keep trying to find a way to honor God. And unless it is blatant, hidden immorality, or if it's illegal activity in the life of the church, then just do all that you can to be prayerful behind the scenes. And then if need be, just, just find another church. Find another place to serve and do what you can to continue to promote the gospel. So why should we reject? I mean, that's, that's harsh. Come on, Dow. Why are we rejecting people? That's so mean. This is what Paul says in verse 11. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Perverted is a pretty big word, right? It's a a medical term that means twisted, like twisting your ankle. Anybody ever twisted your ankle? I've twisted my ankle. I had knee surgery. I've had all kinds of things that happened to my leg and my ankle and my knee and everything else. And and when that happens, guess what I can't do? I can't walk straight. I I can't do everything like I, I normally do. And so the picture that Paul is painting, the picture that Jesus is painting, is that a twisted, divisive person can't walk straight. They're kind of outside and out of step with God's word, and what they're doing is they're trying to get us to go go with them, to be out of step with them. And Paul says, you need to stay away from that. And the hope for us as Christians is that we wouldn't have to have somebody come tell us this, that we'd be able to pick up on it with our own eyes. We'd be able to to see what's being said and to to see the actions and go, you know, I don't think that's consistent with the gospel. So here's what we do. We love them. We pray for them. We warn them. We plead with them. And if need be, we might actually have to have nothing to do with them. We might have to ignore them. It sounds strong. I mean, this sounds mean, I mean, really, this sounds like something that some preacher concocted, right? Some arrogant pastor who's always trying to build a kingdom around himself. Oh, man, he's, this, that's what this is all about. Unfortunately, this is what Jesus said. So that kind of changes the conversation, right? And it's been said a lot of different ways, but if more churches in our lifetime would listen to Jesus here, we would not have so much trouble winning souls to him. If we could find a way to look at what it means to approach each other with conflict, instead of spreading it everywhere, do you know how much great stuff that does for the gospel? And guess where that starts? It starts with you. The gospel begins to to take over in your heart and your mind. You begin to fall more in love with this Redeemer who deeply, deeply loves you. And then all of a sudden your motivation is no longer that your right would be heard. But it would just be that more of Jesus could be seen. It seems mean. It seems out there to reject, to push somebody away. But here's why it's important. Hal Lindsay said this, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. That's a good thought. You see, the the reason that, that twisted sinful division and taking time on that is so bad is because it takes seconds away from us having and giving hope. About seven miles from where we're sitting right now, there are still people looking for a ride to work. There's still people looking for a place to live. There's some people still looking for a mattress to sleep on instead of a cot. All of that because of floodwaters that came through here 21 days ago. Most of us have seen the kindness of God over Mexico, the the worst hurricane ever recorded. And yet, as of this morning, no fatalities have been connected directly to that storm because it hit and it began to dissipate. There will be more disasters. There will be more tragedies. There have been disasters. There have been tragedies. And every second that we are involved with twisted division is a second that we're not involved with the hope of Jesus Christ. There's people in our community looking for hope. On May twentieth, two 2013, an EF5 tornado wiped out more Oklahoma. Pastor Sam Storms lives about 17 miles from where the tornado hit, and he was asked, you know, how can, how can people pray for his church and, and for them as they minister in the community? And this is what he said. He, he said to pray that his neighbors would learn how to be able to say this. I have to have something more solid and stable to hang on to. I need the truth of who God is and that no matter what comes sweeping down the plains, nothing is going to separate me from the love of God in Christ. I want that for you more than anything else in the universe. That when marriage is hard and raising kids is hard and work is hard and school is hard and church is hard or government is hard or tragedy or disaster or terror or anything else that comes down the plane of your life that you would know without a shadow of a doubt nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we reject division. That's why the most Christian thing we could do sometimes is to ignore and push away. Because the most Christian thing we can do is do everything we can to not distract ourselves from the hope that is in Christ. The most Christian thing we can do is to do everything we can to not distract anyone else from the hope that can be found in Christ. And so here is my challenge to us for all the days that we are together and even the days that we may not be together. For the times that we're in this room and the times that we are out in the world, let it be known that we are Christians that will be unified and making sure that the hope of Christ is what we want most. May God give us mercy to do that with joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for love that we can't explain. Thank you for the reality that we may even have people here this morning that have been hurt by church division either here or or growing up or at some other church. And I pray that even today, God, you would give them fresh hope in Jesus. He is their rescue. He is their ransom. He is their redeemer. Would you help their hearts to love what it means to be loved by Jesus? And maybe this morning there is someone who has absolutely no clue what it means to be loved. Their spouse rejects them, their parents reject them, their friends reject them. Father, we we live in a world where there's a generation of young people who feel so rejected. God, maybe this morning, young or old, you might help their hearts see what it means to be loved by Jesus deeply and forever. But we do ask for help this morning help to see that the hope that is in Jesus Christ is the greatest hope in the universe. Help us to grab it and hang on to it with all that we have. And it's in his name we pray, amen.